0: Evening, folks. Hello. Good to be with you all. Okay, uh, welcome to church tonight. Let me add my welcome to Sammy's. If you're visiting, really good to have you with us. Uh, see a few new faces. And uh, welcome to all the regulars who are here every week. Uh, we, we've been going on a journey. We're working through a series looking at prayer, and we're going to be continuing on this through July into August, towards the end of August, culminating in that big conference you just heard about there. We, 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 we're we teaching on prayer because we really believe in prayer. We know the dream we have as a church uh, is only achievable by God. So we pray. And tonight we come to the point where we're going to be looking at spiritual warfare. So if this is your first time at church tonight, be prepared to be freaked out. Okay, so this is this is going to be quite full on. We're going to be talking about some challenging things. This is not an easy subject. We're going to be looking at stuff that the Bible talks about that we need to be aware of. I believe every human being on the planet, whether they believe in the devil and demons or not, this subject is relevant to them. Because whether they realize it or not, these things are affecting your life. So put your seatbelts on, get your brains in gear, get your notepads out. I'm going to go like a machine gun tonight. There's a lot of information to cover. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're among us. Thank you you're here. Thank you you love every person in this room. Lord, I just pray that you just move tonight. I pray you'd encourage hearts, pray you'd speak, pray you reveal yourself. And I pray, God, help us to, while we're looking at a tough subject, I pray, God, help us to learn, help us to grow. And I pray, God, we will be equipped for everything you want to do in us and through us as a church. Pray anyone tonight who is far from you, tonight you'd bring them close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight, this is a two-part message. Tonight, we're going to be looking at um, the devil and the demons and how they affect you personally. Next Sunday morning here in the Leith service, I'm going to be doing part two of this message, and it'll be the devil and demons and how it affects the city and culture and family circles and family in generations and how do we pray about those things and how do we actually change those things. But tonight, it's about us. It's about how we can be spiritually safe and spiritually protected. C.S. Lewis, let me start with a quote by C.S. Lewis. This is in his preface to the Screwtape Letters. He said about, about the devil and the demons, he said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors. They hail the materialist or a magician with the same delight. And I guess we're we're in a society that is a spiritual society, but are also in a very secular society. So we've got both of those dynamics. We've got some people who are deeply interested in, in the spiritual realm in an unhealthy way, and we've got some people who just deny completely the spiritual realm. Survey was carried out in the UK and it showed that two out of three adults, sixty two percent of adults in the UK agreed that Satan is not a living being, but merely a symbol of evil. Uh, Surprisingly, 52% of Christians, uh, people who call themselves Christians, surveyed, denied Satan's existence. I don't know what Bible they're reading, but it's kind of mentioned a few times in the Bible. In Edinburgh, uh, my friend Paul James Griffiths works for the Edinburgh City Mission, and he comes from being a pagan. He was a pagan priest. And uh, he—he's he, no longer pagan priest. He works for the Edinburgh City Mission. He's a Christian now. Uh, but he gave me some information about Edinburgh. and He said that there's a movement within Edinburgh to change Edinburgh into the paranormal capital of Europe. Every every year, 12,000 people gather for the Beltane Festival on Carlton Hill. And while there are many students, thousands of students, locals, and tourists, there are among the 12,000 people there are thousands of occultics, pagans, and witches. It is Europe's biggest pagan festival there are over 50 occult shops active in Edinburgh. So we're in a city that's very aware of the spiritual realm, certainly. I'm not sure how aware people are of the dangers in the spiritual realm. But what I want to do tonight is want to look at what the Bible says about Satan, about demons. I don't like talking about him often. We like talking about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We love, we love him. But nevertheless, To live a life in victory, we need to be aware of who our enemy is, and therefore we can be equipped to face the challenges that come our way, because sometimes the challenges aren't innocent. Names and titles that are given to Satan in the Bible. He's called the God of this world, the accuser, the great dragon, the adversary, the lawless one, the destroyer, a liar or a father of lies, Beelzebub, which translates Lord of the Flies, Morning Star, which translates Lucifer, murderer, deceiver, prince of the power of the air, the devil. We'll look at what that means later on. Um, the ruler of the world, enemy, Satan, the evil one, serpent, father of lies, and the tempter. There are Many people have a view when it, when it comes to comparing Satan and God. They think they're kind of on level playing fields. This is called dualism, where they believe that God and the devil are kind of equal but opposite forces. You've seen the yin and yang surf thing, right? It's cool on skateboards, but it's a real rubbish philosophy in life. It, infer- it inferences that Satan and God are equally powerful in this kind of constant battle going on. And I have to let you know the good news is that the Bible clearly makes us understand that Satan is not on a level playing field with God, that God is all mighty. And Satan has power, sure, and Satan is a threat, sure. But we shouldn't think he is on a par with God. See, he hasn't got the characteristics God has. God is omniscience, he's omnipresence, and he's omnipotence. Satan isn't any of those. He is om- God is omniscience, but Satan isn't. What that means is God knows everything. Satan doesn't know everything. Satan knows some things, he is intelligent, but he doesn't know what's going on in your minds. God does. God knows thoughts even before you think them. God knows the words you're going to speak even before you say them. Satan doesn't have that intelligence. Now, sometimes he bluffs his way in that one. I know he doesn't have that because when you go, for example, to Daniel chapter 2, you see Daniel standing before the king, and Daniel says to the king, God, there is a God in heaven who shows mysteries, and he has told me what the king's dream was. God knows what the king's dream was. The king didn't tell anyone the dream. But God knew the dream. The stuff that was going on in the king's head, God was able to reveal. And then Daniel went on to say, and all the magicians, the conjurers, and the sorcerers in the whole area of Babylon were not able to tell the king his dream. They operate by the power of demons, and they were not able to tell the king what was going on in the king's head. Now, you might say, ah, but Peter, I know someone who went to a spiritualist or a medium or an extra-large. It was a joke. Or a fortune teller. And when they, when they met, they, they told them all these bits of information about their life, and I know that happens. I know it happens that uh, that you, I wouldn't advise anyone to do this, but a medium can tell you information about your life, details about where you live, and, da, 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 and so, and that usually impresses people sufficiently to make them open up their hearts for the next thing that comes. But I have to tell you, it is not very hard for a satanic spirit, a demon, to be able to tell a spiritualist what they have observed. Just like you and I can observe life, demons can observe life, and it's not hard for them to give information about that person sitting in the room to the spiritualist or to the fortune teller who can relay that information to the person, and then that person assumes that what will come next is a message from their dead loved one. But sadly, that is not the message that comes next. It comes under the guise of that, but it is a satanic message, and they've just been opened up by The knowledge that they seem to carry. Satan isn't omniscient. Satan isn't omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all at once. And Satan is not omnipotent. He isn't the creator. He isn't all powerful. However, God is. So let's look at how the Bible describes how Satan became Satan in the first place. Where did he come from? How did he originate? How did all that happen? There are two passages in the Old Testament that describe what happened behind the scenes in the heavenlies when Satan turned bad. One passage is found in Isaiah, another passage is found in Ezekiel, two prophets in the Old Testament. In Isaiah, it's interesting, the prophecy is spoken and directed to the king of Babylon. Ezekiel's bringing the prophecy, and it's directed to the king of Tyre. But actually, when you read it, you realize that they weren't just speaking to physical kings, they were speaking to the spirit or Satan at work in those kings. Uh, Just like when Peter said Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't just speaking to Peter, he was speaking to the spirit that was at work through that person. It's exactly what's happening in Isaiah. Isaiah 14, this is a description of how Satan fell. Isaiah 14, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning, or star of the morning. New King James Version translates that Lucifer. Son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth, you who weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will rise above the throne, above the star, above, my throne above the stars of God. Notice it starts in the heart. He said, I said in my heart. Satan had a thought that came into his heart. It was a pride-filled thought. He wanted to rise above the throne of God. And I will sit down in the mounts of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Folks, this is the fall of Satan. He desired to be God. And actually, this is also the fall of man. We don't want to have a God, we want to be God. That's been our problem, but it started as Satan's problem. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. And this is making reference to Satan's ultimate destination, hell. Many people, when they think of hell, they think that's Satan's HQ. That's where he operates from, as if it's his base. It's not Satan's HQ. It will be his hell. It is the place of judgment, of angels. Ultimately, according to the book of Revelation, hell itself, this place, wherever that place is, will be thrown into the lake of fire, and Satan will be removed, and all his influences and all his cohorts will be removed from influencing the world anymore. Then we come to Ezekiel 28, where we see another description of Satan's fall. It says, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Just, just let me make a point here. See, it says, You were the seal of perfection, the, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You just need to be cautious here. When Satan was created, Satan was a very beautiful, attractive angel, influential you need to be careful if you are an influential person. Whatever gifts God has given you to influence, whatever attractiveness you carry as a human being, don't ever assume, ah, that's there for me. That's always there to help others and bring glory to God. That gift that God has given you, that talent that God has, or that attractiveness that God has blessed you with. But Satan didn't see it that way. He says in verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnel, I'm really going to struggle with these names: chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, blah, 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 turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and the mountings were made of gold on the day that you were created. Notice that Satan is created. God didn't create Satan evil; He created him like is described here, beautiful and and pure. It says they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. That could also be translated ruling angel. In other words, he had some authority in the heavenly realms before he fell. He had some rule over certain angels and responsibilities. For so I ordained you, for you were in the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you are filled with violence and you sins So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud. Remember the verses in Isaiah? It talks about his heart. Something happened in his heart. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. You need to understand, we'll, we'll look at this, we'll unpack this thought a little bit later on, but pride is a big issue It's a satanic issue, and it opens up the door for many other issues in our lives. But certainly that was Satan's downfall, his pride. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before the kings, verse 19. All the nations who knew you were appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. And that's God speaking about his ultimate destruction as described in the book of Revelation. So that's an insight into what was going on and some of the attitudes in Satan's soul, in Satan's heart before the fall. And they're key. They're key for our understanding on how we can be saved spiritually when we understand the stuff that made him fall spiritually. The book of Revelation also gives us a view into what was happening in the heavenly realms when this battle took place, this rebellion in heaven. It says in Revelation 12, 7 to 9, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Michael was an archangel, fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down at that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now we understand that it wasn't just Satan in rebellion against God and his pride, but also there was apparently other angels were also in rebellion. A mutiny happened in heaven. Another part of Revelation indicates that a third of the angels fell in that moment, and so the fallen angels are called demons. They are spirits at work. They they don't have bodies. They are spirits. They can take on form, sure, but they are spirits, and they're fallen spirits, fallen angels. And they are at work in our world, ruining people's lives today. I believe that. I do believe that. And I've seen their effects. And many people have firsthand experienced their negative effects in your life. Satan is their head. He's a fallen angel. He, he was a ruler while he was in heaven in the realms up there. And he's continued to carry on that authority, leading fallen angels. The war came from heaven to earth. And this is where it comes into the book of Genesis. Genesis where all of a sudden the, the turmoil that was going on in, in the heavenlies starts to come to the earth. When did this happen? I think it probably happened around the time of the Garden of Eden. That's what it indicates in Ezekiel. Remember it says that at the beginning of the bit in Ezekiel it said that you were in Eden and you were sinless. So I think kind of the fall maybe happened at some point during the Eden period described in, in Genesis. So there's a war on earth, Genesis 3 verse 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Notice what he does. He questions God's word. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit in the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it. Now, God didn't actually say you can't even touch it. Here the woman's now adding to the Bible. So she's not really handling the Bible that well herself, or he will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Now what's Satan doing? He is overtly contradicting God's words. so a minute ago he was questioning God's words. Now he's contradicting God's words. For God knows that in the day when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's saying, Do you know what? The reason God said you can't drink eat that fruit is that his motive isn't for you. He knows that if you do that, you'll become like him. In other words, he's holding back good from you. Satan now not only questions God's words, but now Satan questions God's motive in speaking the word. And it says that when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened. This is the most devastating moment in human history. Early stages in human history. The fall of mankind. Ever since then, everything's gone wrong. Okay, so that's some scriptural understanding of why there is this being called Satan it doesn't give all the answers I can't give you all the answers but it gives you the answers the Bible gives you let me help you just make it a bit more tangible what was actually going on in the garden there I need to kind of demonstrate this for you so for this demonstration I need three volunteers um Michael, Sammy, and Leslie. Thanks for so much for volunteering, guys. Thank you. Let's hear it for our volunteers as they come forward. <laughs> Woo! Okay, guys. So, Leslie, if you can go, uh, you, you go here. Leslie, Sammy goes here, and Michael, you can go here. <coughs> okay. Okay, Michael. I'm really sorry, but you are Satan. Just tonight, just, just for the next few minutes. Sammy, you are Adam. Whoop. Okay, and Leslie, you're the Lord. Woo! <laughs> okay, um, so this, this is what the Bible says. This is, this is what happened at the moment of creation. It says in the book of Psalms, chapter 8, verse 5 to 6, it says that, so God created man. God also created Lucifer. Now, Lucifer fell, we know that. But God didn't create him evil. God God created him pure, and he fell, and he became corrupted. It says in Psalm 8, verse verse 5 and 6, it says, You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, and you made him the ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. That's the Bible saying, when God created mankind, he made him the ruler over the works of his hands. God created us to rule the earth. Okay, so analogy I used last week was, it's like a landlord and a tenant. You know, if, if you own the house, you're the landlord. And you give the keys to the tenant. There you go. What happens is, they're now the tenants. And they're now in charge of your property. They're, they're looking after it for you. Now, kind the land. So, Leslie, the Lord. Thanks, Lord. The Lord passes on the keys to planet Earth to humankind. That's what the Bible says. You made him rulers over the works of your hands. See that? Here's another verse. It says in uh, Psalm 115 16, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. So, in this moment, man and God were in relationship. You can put your arm around if you want. Yeah. Sorry, William. Man and God were in relationship. And this is, this is exactly how you were created to be. You were created to be in relationship with the Lord. In this relationship, the world was at peace. There was no uh, moving place. There was no natural disasters. There was no earthquakes. There was no sin. There was no suffering. There was no death. There was peace. There was relationship. And it all came from this relationship between man and God being strong. So, God has given control of the earth to humankind. That's what the Bible says. But then there was the fall of man, and Satan now tempts mankind. Sammy, if you can bow down before Michael here, that'd be great. Come on. Go on, dude. Yeah. Don't mean it. Just do it for an act. And then give him the keys. Okay. What's happening here is this is what the Bible describes as the fall of mankind. So this is what the Bible says, Romans 6, verse 16. Very important you hear this. Do you not know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the ones you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. The Bible's making it clear that when you sin, you are obeying Satan because you're doing what he wants you to do. So, you're sinning. Who becomes your master? Satan becomes your master. So, when Adam and Eve decided to do the wrong thing, they literally agreed to what Satan had asked, and in doing so, they made him their master. And what happened to their authority? Remember, God had given them the keys? Well, they lost their authority. Why? Well, actually, they handed their authority over Satan took the authority on the earth. How does the devil operate on planet Earth today? He operates through human beings. Actually, what Satan does is Satan piggybacks on the authority that God gave humankind in the first place. The authority we have over the earth, Satan piggybacks on that authority. Satan cannot do anything in this planet unless he has a willing human beings. He needs our arms and our legs and our mouth. So all he needs to do is get someone just to believe a lie, and then you get a madman in Norway killing students on an island. Or he gets to someone to believe, just to buy into a lie and he gets a pervert in Morningside to commit adultery against his wife. Or just get someone to buy into a lie and they create dissension in a local church because he's managed to get them bitter enough and believing that they're right and everyone else is wrong. All he needs to do is get someone to believe a lie. And you can get them to believe a lie. And then he has his operation on planet Earth. That's how Satan works. You know, some of you are from Africa. In Africa, you know witchcraft is a real deal. And you know that when witch doctors put curses on people, people can drop dead. You know that. I've heard many stories of that happening in Africa. Can Satan just make people drop dead? No. He needs a mouthpiece, he needs a witch doctor to speak. Why? Because he piggybacks on the authority that God gave the human race in the first place. That's how Satan operates. Bible says in uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he, this is Satan tempting Jesus, and it says, he led him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to him, whomever I wish. Now, question, was Satan bluffing? I don't think so. I think he was telling the truth. I think what was actually happening was Adam and Eve had handed the keys, the authority over to Satan. And so when Satan's saying, the world's been given to me, I can give it to whoever I want, he was telling the truth. The world had been handed over. First John 5:19 it says, the world lies under the power of the evil one. Second Corinthians 4, 4 describes the evil one as the God of this world. So now we have this situation where Sammy's knees are getting sore. Satan has the keys. And unfortunately, God has been pushed out of the equation. There is no longer a relationship between man and God. And listen, if tonight you are not connected with God, you're in a serious predicament. If, you're, if, you're in the, if this is your situation as described here, you're desperate. You need to come to God. If you're not saved, if you don't know God. You seriously, before the night's over, put things right between you and God. We have a situation that was a, because of this broken relationship in this world, there is now suffering, sickness, disease, death, disunity, natural disasters. Why? Because everything under our care fell into disrepair when we fell. This is a mess. And you know the root cause of the mess? And the biggest mess of all the mess isn't the natural disasters and isn't the sin and isn't the death. It's the fact that we are no longer connected with the Lord that we were designed to live with. That's the big issue. But God in His love provided a rescue plan. God in His love provided a solution where God Himself took on human flesh. Jesus Christ came. The Son of God entered into the world. He became flesh and blood. And in one profound moment in history, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Now, here's the deal. This, when Jesus walked the earth, here's Jesus now, when Jesus walked the earth, this was the first human being that Satan had no authority over. Every other human being since Adam, Satan had authority over their lives. Why? Because of sin. But Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, didn't inherit sin from parents. Walked sin free, resisted every temptation thrown at him. Satan had nothing on him. No handle to get hold of him. He had nothing on Jesus. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said in John 14, 30, the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. He can do nothing to me. Jesus was the only human being that Satan had no authority over. And so when Jesus Christ died, when he died on that cross, he took our shame, our fallenness, our brokenness, the punishment we deserve for our rebellion against God, that punishment was poured out from God the Father unto God the Son. He took the hit for us, he took our place, he died instead of us dying. He died as a substitute, He took our hell so we can take his heaven. He took our sins so we can have this gift of righteousness that 's what Jesus Christ did, and then he rose again in the third day. And in those moments, something happened over here. It says in Revelation 1 verse 8, this is Jesus speaking. He said, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Let's hear it for Jesus. Woo! Okay, so give the keys over, man. What took place... Don't drop them now, Jesus. What took place... When Jesus died on the cross, he removed Satan's legal rights of authority over us. He took back the keys. He regained the authority. Notice, God became a man. Who did God give authority to in the first place on earth? Human beings. God had to become a man in order to regain the authority on earth. So one who is fully God and fully man. There is a man in heaven today. Do you know that? Armani. He's on the throne. He rules and reigns. He has the keys. He has all authority. He says, so Adam's now saved. Punch the devil. And, and hug the Lord. Yeah, there you go. So that's just what's taken place. And Jesus, having done this, this is, this is what it says. It says, he has rescued us. Colossians 1. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Dominion means you were under darkness the authority of darkness. And he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is the truth, that you were, you see, many people before they become believers, maybe tonight you're not a believer, many people before they become believers, they, they think, I'm not under anyone's dominion. But actually, according to the Bible, you are. You're either under the dominion of darkness, even though you don't know it, Just by the virtue of the fact you sin, every time you sin, you bow the knees and hand the keys over. Every time. You're either under the dominion of darkness or you're under the dominion of God. Jesus is your Lord. Becoming a believer isn't just turning over a new leaf or saying, okay, I'll do the Christian thing. No, no, it's changing kingdoms. It's coming out from under the dominion of Satan and coming under the dominion of Jesus Christ. That's what took place spiritually. Jesus reigns. He resurrected in the third day, and he turned up and he said, so who has authority on earth today? Well, Jesus. Matthew 28 says, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, and surely, remember, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So do you and I have authority now if you're a believer? Yes, you do. You have authority in Jesus Christ, He's got the keys, but you're in Him, and you and Jesus Christ can rule. When you become a child of God, you have authority. Romans five seventeen says, "For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more say how much more? How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and His gift of righteousness reign in life through Jesus Christ?" So the Bible teaches that, yeah, Adam's sin had bad consequence, but you need to know the scale of that consequence. Hmm, How much more? The scale of the good consequence of what Jesus Christ has accomplished through the cross. When you come to God in Jesus Christ, what happens? You reign in life through Jesus Christ. If you have become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a king and a queen. Adjust your crowns, royal people. Come on, adjust your crowns. You reign with Jesus Christ. How do you exercise that rule? How do you exercise that authority on earth? On your knees, praying under the authority of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, things change. We pray, God does stuff. Remember, we said last week, He said, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Why do we even need to pray that if God's will is always done? We need to pray that because He's given us the keys. We're the rulers of the earth. And in Jesus, we get to reign with him, and through the authority of Jesus Christ, our prayers are answered, and planet earth is transformed. Let's hear it for our wonderful volunteers. Thank you so much, guys. So that's, I believe that's exactly what took place. Thanks, Sammy. I believe that's world history. I believe that's the picture that we need to have in our minds when it comes to understanding the spiritual realm. So how does this apply to us? How does it apply practically to us? How can you, let me make it really simple, how can you be spiritually safe? Okay, question. Can a Christian be possessed by a demon? It's an important question. Okay, well, having seen what you just saw there, having me read those Bible verses to you, I don't think anyone could say a Christian could be possessed by a demon. Because possession infers ownership, and we understand through what Jesus did, is we've come out from under the authority of Satan into the authority of Jesus Christ. So I don't believe, and I believe the Bible is really clear on it: a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. Question number two: Okay, can a Christian be influenced by Satan or demons? And the answer is yes. You see it many times. You see Jesus being influenced in his temptation. Satan was influenced. Didn't, he wasn't swayed by it, but he was certainly touched by it. We're influenced by Satan and demons. Okay, another question. Can Christians be influenced internally by Satan and demons? And I think the answer is yes to that. So Jesus turns to Peter one day. And because of what Peter had just said, Jesus turns to him and said, get behind me, Satan. What was Jesus saying? Well, he was inferring that Peter had just allowed a satanic thought inside him, and he'd given voice to it. And the weird thing is, if you read what he said, it was kind of all right. It didn't sound that evil. And yet, Jesus knew the root cause of it. By the way, sometimes things that are seriously sinister and really will damage your life don't have fork you know, pitchforks and kind of horns and a, and a pointy tail. Sometimes Satan, typically Satan, comes to you with real subtlety and things that might appeal to your emotions. And it doesn't mean necessarily it's safe, though. You need to be close to God to discern the difference. Okay, so can Satan influence internally? Yeah, we see Jesus sitting to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter had apparently allowed a thought in and he gave him voice to it, and it was a satanic thought. We see it with Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, It says Peter, the apostle, turns to Ananias and Sapphira and says to them, why has Satan so filled your heart that you should lie to the Holy Spirit? What happened? Satan had filled their heart. These were Christians, Ananias and Sapphira, and yet they had been influenced internally to the point where they'd gone down a crazy route. Okay, an analogy I would give you just to help you understand this is if you are a house owner, and if you went round up and down Leith Walk and you found all the drug dealers, and the pimps, and the gang members, and said, "Yeah, come on over to my place. Yeah, come on, hang out at my place," all right? You did that, okay? You would have a real problem in your hands. Your house might get trashed. You'd have you'd have chaos in your house. All right? Is it still your house? Yes but they're making a mess of it. So, I don't believe a Christian can be possessed. But I do believe that Christians, through opening doors, can allow influences to touch their life that can create a real mess. So, okay, question. How do you keep those doors shut? I'm going to give you some tips. I mean, the obvious ones are things like avoid occult activity, Ouija boards, tarot cards, horrible scopes, Anything that's, you know, anything that's affecting your life in those ways, avoid them. Dangerous. Seriously, they're doorways and they'll damage your souls. Okay, also things like mediums and spiritualists. I know why people go to these people because they're looking for comfort because of their passed away loved one. I understand the sentiment. I understand their desire. But the tragedy is the comfort they think they're getting from their loved one. They're actually hearing lies from a demon and they are actually opening up their hearts to being damaged in a very deep and dangerous way avoid them. Avoid false religions and cults. Satan breeds in these areas, moves in power in these areas. Avoid these things. Avoid any form of witchcraft. They're the obvious ones, but let me tell you seven things now just as we close. Seven doors, attitudes, things that are not so overt and yet are incredibly important for us to be aware of. Seven tips I've got for you to be spiritually safe. Tip number one, beware of pride. Proverbs 16, verse 18. It says, pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before, sorry, pride goes before destruction, but a haughty spirit before a fall. Remember in those, those verses we read in Isaiah and Ezekiel, remember what was in Satan's heart before the fall? Pride. Pride had got into his heart and that led to his demise. His demise pride always goes before a fall if you trace back big sins that you've committed you follow them right back almost certainly right back near its origin when I mean, it's still in a tiny seed form you might often detect pride was in your heart certainly for me i look at some mistakes i've made and I look back follow it back I actually slipped into pride there it is a little it's like that little thing that little attitude so subtle which opens up the way for so many other darker things. It's like it forces a wedge in the door and on the back of that comes all sorts of stuff. Uh, St. Augustine put it this way, pride is the mother of all sin. It is pregnant with all sins. It really is that original umbrella sin that leads to so many other things. It was the issue in Satan's heart that led to every other devastating thing he's done. So beware of pride. Secondly, beware of the root of bitterness. This is so important. Ephesians 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. In other words, sometimes it's okay to be angry, and we should get angry sometimes about injustice and all these things. But there is a time where anger becomes sin. And it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Apparently, if you let your anger become a rage and you hold on to it and embrace it, you are giving the devil a foothold. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness. That's what happens when anger festers. It becomes bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. Do not harbor unforgiveness in your heart towards any human being, whether it's anyone in this room or anyone in your family. Don't harbor unforgiveness in your heart towards another human being. How do you not do that? Well, the gospel helps you. It says, uh, forgiving each other just as Christ, in, in Christ, God forgave you. I mean, when I, when I think of the stuff that God has forgiven me for, when I think of the scale of God's forgiveness, how could I hold an unforgiveness towards another person? Seriously. When I when I'm contemplate the scale of His forgiveness towards me, I mean, who am I that I'm going to say, I'm going to hold on to that grudge again? I mean, how could we? Seriously, how could we? You might have a warped view of God's forgiveness of you. Maybe that's what's holding you back. But if you have an understanding of the scale of God's forgiveness towards you, you can't hold on to bitterness. You can't. It's time to let it go. It's ruining you, and it ruins others around you. Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it, many be defiled. Here's the deal. You have bitterness in your soul. It won't be long before it starts affecting others. You've been around a bitter person before? Have you noticed how you start getting their bitterness? Have you noticed that? Have you ever got an attitude towards someone you've never spoken to just by hanging out with someone who's carrying that? I have. We are so susceptible to that kind of stuff. According to this verse, it says, a root of bitterness defiles many people. Amy Carmichael, the the Irish missionary, she said, she put it this way, she said, if you have a glass of sweet water and you bump it, what comes out? Sweet water, okay? He said, if, if you have a glass of bitter water and you bump it, what comes out? Bitter water. The truth is that what's in you will start affecting those around you. You catch other people's bitterness, so keep your heart right. Do not let bitterness take root in your soul. It will ruin you that leads on to slander. Thirdly, beware of slander. The name devil, that's one of the titles given to the devil. Devil, it's the Greek word diabolos. And the Greek word diabolos means slanderer. Do you find it, I mean, is it any surprise that people who are really making a big difference in this world for God are the ones that are most commonly negatively slandered, sometimes by Christians, sometimes by the world's press. But it's true. The people who are really making a difference in this world are slandered. Why? Because the devil, Diabolos, is the slanderer, and he will do everything he can to try and uh, stint and stop the progress of of good people making a great difference. Tony Anthony, who's been preaching here several times over the years, good friend of ours in the church, he's recently had to shut down his ministry because there was a whole lot of Christians take issue with his story and they're starting to bring into question several facts about his story. We've phoned him, we've talked to him about it, and the facts of the story remain. This guy has had an authentic life change and he's seen about 23 million people come to faith around the world but he said to shut this ministry down. Why? Because of the slander from so-called Christians. That's just in the last few months. Slander. So whenever you hear slander about Christian leaders, whether it's in this church or outside, take it with a pinch of salt. It is the devil's way to slander. God's way is if you have a problem with someone, talk to them. Don't talk about them. Let me say furthermore, if you hear someone slandering, stop hanging out with them. The Bible says it in Proverbs, do not associate with the gospel. That's what it says. If you come across someone who's slandering others and gossiping, honestly, don't hang out with them. They're weird. They're nuts. Walk away from them. In fact, tell them, listen, I'm not having anything to do with you. You know the devil's a slanderer? Devil, right? And walk away from them, right? And just have nothing more to do with them because actually it's one of the devil's ways of undermining churches, undermining the advancement of the gospel. Do not let the devil have any way of doing that in this church. Do not associate with gossip. Reject it. Fourthly, beware of selfish ambition and jealousy. It's interesting, again, you look at Ezekiel and Isaiah, that was two of the issues that was in Satan's heart. He was jealous of God's authority. He was jealous of God's dominion. He had this selfish ambition to become God. It says in James 3.16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There is disorder and every evil thing. I mean, that's a remarkable verse. Look at it. Where jealousy... I mean, you'd expect it to say where murders and knife attacks exist. There is disorder and every evil thing. You'd expect something like that, right? But it says where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There is disorder and every evil thing. It's mind-blowing. Listen, folks big message here. What happened with Satan started in his heart. I know Ouija boards and I know tarot cards and I know mediums and spiritualists and false religions can open up all sorts of doors to the devil. But let me tell you, typically and with Satan himself, it started not there. It started with pride and jealousy and envy in his soul and it festered and led him to disorder and every evil thing. You know, Anyone who's got a kind of selfish ambition, we sense it with them, they don't get near leadership in our church. Anyone who's got this kind of agenda to self-promote, they don't get to preach in this church. They don't get to lead in this church because we see the dangers and the satanicness of that mentality. Fifthly, beware of habitual sin. 1 John five eighteen. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God, talking about Jesus and his incarnation, protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Here's how it should be. As believers, the truth is, as believers, your agenda is not to sin. If your agenda is to sin, you're not saved. All right? It's not like, oh, I need to become better. No, no, you're not even saved. Because right? when you get saved, your agenda is to do the will of God. It doesn't mean you always do it but that's the new autopilot in your soul. That's one of the evidence. It's a fruit of your salvation. You want to do the will of God. Now, the Bible says if you're born of God, you'll not make a habit of sinning. In other words, your agenda in life isn't sinning. And it says as we walk with that agenda in life, God's protection and covering covers us, and the evil one does not touch us. Now, let me flip it. As a believer, even, you're, you're dabbling with sin, you're actually struggling with sin, and some of the sin is becoming addictive. Then you need to understand every time that goes there, it's not that God doesn't forgive you, it's not that God doesn't cleanse you, it's not that God, even in that moment of sin, doesn't see you as righteous because of Jesus' blood. Amazing. His salvation is incredible. But here's what it does do it creates a chink in your armor, it gives a foothold to Satan that can open up the door for a whole lot of other things. Joyce Meyer said this. She said, remember that the devil must first have a foothold before he can get a stronghold. So how do you deal with these things? Okay, you're starting to have habitual sin in your life. Masturbation, pornography, secret gambling, drinking, starting to smoke the dope, uh, you know, prescription drugs. I don't know. It might be... uh, propensity to, you know, I don't know, facials. (laughs) Sammy's issue, certainly. I don't know what your issues are, right? Everyone has their stuff, and even good stuff can become bad stuff when it becomes this thing you need. Okay, here's the deal. This is what you need to do. Expose it. Satan dwells in the shadows. Expose it. If you've had a long-term porn addiction and you don't want to talk to anyone about it, in your head you're believing a lie that if I tell anyone about this, I will be rejected because of the shame. But if you only knew, and if when you're in a church that understands the grace of God, rejection is not what will happen. Grace is what will happen for whatever the issue may be. Expose it. Do not let anything be in shadows in your life. Confess it. Become accountable. Bring it to the light. See what God does. God operates in the light. And let God set you free and close that door that had been opened Okay, here's two positives. Sixthly, be rooted in God's word. Remember how Satan first attacked mankind? Remember what he did? He questioned God's words to Eve. Remember that? Did God really say? He undermined God's words. And he questioned God's motive in speaking his word. Remember that? In the Genesis account, in Genesis 3. Do you know that's exactly how Satan attacks you? He questions God's word. You know, Jesus, how was Jesus attacked by Satan? He was tempted in several ways, but notice how Satan used the Bible. He misquoted the Bible to Jesus to try and tempt him. How did Jesus reply to Satan's temptation on every occasion? Unlike Eve, who wasn't that solid on the Word of God, Jesus came back with an affirmative. It is written. It is written. It is written every time. Jesus Christ, he, he lived on and breathed and Adhere to the Word of God. You see, the problems start in our lives when we stop living by the Word of God. And we have I mean, this is something we're so susceptible in a society. We put our feelings above God's word. It's like, oh, I just love that person, and I think God wants me to be with them and and have sex with them, and even though we're not married you read the Bible? you pervert. Right? The Bible's so clear. Sex in marriage, not outside of marriage. Repent. Oh, but I think the Lord wants it. No, He doesn't. Read your Bible. Stop making stuff up and saying it's the Lord's. Okay? Or, mm, I've fallen in love with this person the same sex as me. And I, I mean, God couldn't wouldn't condemn love, would He? And I know it sounds so reasonable, but you know, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says it's a sin. You know, the Oh, I love this person, and I know they're not a believer, but it's okay. Well, has the Lord said that? Yeah, I think He's told me that. Oh, you made that up. You're you're, you're just you're letting your emotions telling you what you're, you you want to hear. You're not really looking at what God says in His Word. Why does God say that? Because He loves you. So, do you want to be safe? Don't let the devil start undermining or questioning or watering down the Bible. I know the Bible's full on, right? It's brutal. Whoa, have you read it? It's brutal. It's kind of, wow, it's so often so contrary to how we live, and it really is like a sword. Ugh. It's tough. It's really challenging. I know it's challenging. It, it stabs me like it can stab every one of you, but you know what? My, I'm not responsible for trying to live a comfortable life. <laughs> I mean, either I'm bound to need to Satan or I'm bound to need to God. And if I'm saying I'm going to bow the knee to God, then what he says has to be the authority of my life. God's word has to be authority. Otherwise, I'm just kidding myself on. Romans five nineteen, it says, for just as through the disobedience, say disobedience, of one man, that's Adam, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience, say obedience, of one man, many will be made righteous. The word disobedience and obedience are really interesting verse, words in the Greek, in the Greek language, disobedience is the Greek word para-kuo. Para-kuo, two words, para-kuo. Para means alongside. Kuo means to hear. It literally means to hear alongside. That's disobedience. Okay, in contrast, next slide, this is what obedience means. Obedience is hupo-kuo. Hupo means under. It doesn't mean alongside, like para. Hupo means Under and a okuo is to hear, to hear under. Notice that Jesus was obedient, Adam was disobedient. Adam put himself alongside God in the way he heard. All right, God, give me your opinion. Okay, I'll think about that. Thanks, God. It wasn't obedience, but Jesus humbled himself to the Father, and he came under the word of the Father. He said, I, don't, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I don't only say what I hear the Father saying, total obedience. And that's your safety zone. To be rooted in God's word, not in what you think the Bible says or what you'd like the Bible to say, but really with an honesty, let the Bible just speak into your life. And seventhly and finally, be rooted in the local church. 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. It's a kind of weird verse, this one. You don't want to memorize this. and don't read it too often. It's just kind of weird. It says, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Wow, was that? Okay, it's, it's pretty full-on verse. It's talking that this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he's, there's a guy committing incest, and he's not repenting over it, and Paul's saying, you've got to put that person out of the church. He excommunicates him from the church, but look at how he describes the excommunication. He calls it commit the person to Satan. In Paul's mind, putting someone out the church is the same as committing someone to Satan. Now, I don't know what that says to you, but let me tell you what it says to me. It tells me, on the flip side, being part of a local church, spiritually speaking, is protection from Satan. Satan. That's so powerful. Being under the authority in a local church gives you a spiritual protection. I think it's so important. Now, in the local church, God wants protection, God wants safety, but the devil wants to undermine. And there are wolves coming into local churches, they come in sheep's clothing, wolves in sheep's clothing. They come among God's people. Maybe one or two of you tonight. You're not welcome in our church. (laughs) I'm not looking at anyone in particular. Sammy, Sammy. Right? Okay. But seriously, um, maybe no one's in this room is a wolf, but if there are any wolves, you're not welcome in this church. wolf coming in sheep clothing. How how do you recognize a wolf? Right? They have an anti-authority agenda. They slander church leadership. They gossip. And they themselves are independent and don't come under authority. And they spread their influence to others and want to bring other sheep away. If you spend time with someone and you're constantly feeling more and more and more and more disloyal to your local church, you're spending time with most probably with a wolf or certainly someone with a deep spiritual issue. Because according to the Bible, that's the place of safety. It says in First uh, Peter 5, be alert and sober-minded, for your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I don't know if you've seen predators in nature programs attacking flocks. What they do is they, the herd. sorry, they, they, they isolate some, like one of the wildebeest, the little one, from the rest of the herd, don't they? That's how they take it out. They try and isolate, and that's exactly how Satan operates. Satan wants to isolate you from the protection of the local church. And if you can get someone along your path that isolates you, and I've seen this happen. 15 years, we started this church 15 years ago and we've seen precious people who are now going nowhere in their faith who because of some wolf in sheep's clothing, to be honest, have ended up high and dry. They've been led astray by someone who convinced them that they didn't need church and now their faith has gone nowhere. And I hate it and I don't want it for any of you guys. I'm not saying that because I want you to be part of this church. This is a good church. But whether it's this church or you're visiting from another church, I don't mind. It doesn't matter. Come under the authority of your local church leadership. Be part of that local church. Play your part there. Speak well of things. Don't gossip. Pray for the church. Do everything you can be to honor and see what God does. Under authority, you have authority. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourself to God. Then you can resist the devil and he'll flee from you. How do you submit yourself to God? Oh, I'm submitted to God. Really, are you? Let me make it real practical. Let me say what submitting to God looks like. Let me not make it so ephemeral. Let me ground it in reality. Submitting to God means submitting to God's word. And submitting to God means submitting to godly leadership that God has chosen to put in local churches. These are things that will give you spiritual safety. And it's from that place of you being spiritually safe that next week we will look at, okay, how do we now take ground in prayer in a city that has been ruined by a thief that is stealing, killing, and destroying, ruining people's lives, the assaults of the enemy on our city that we so love. Let's pray. Okay, just, we've, we've talked about, I mean, we've, sorry it's been a longer message than usual, folks, but we've had to cover a lot of grounds And I realize we've probably thrown out more than any one of us could digest. But maybe two or three things have stood out in your mind tonight. So just take these moments, just as the band are coming up to play, take these moments to reflect on what you've heard and to pray back your response to God. Just take a moment to do that. Talk to Him. Mm. of you who've you've, you've just been saying I've got to do it my way, I'm going to do it my way God wants today you submit to letting life go his way, live in line with his word and you will find the authority and blessing of God coming some of you I know there's many of you in this room you've been tormented by spirits you have opened the door through occult through various influences you've allowed into your life. Maybe even in different cultures that you grew up in. Occultic, witchcraft-type practices have been happening around you and it's been ruining your life ever since. Bad dreams, things levitating, bad manifestations. God's here by His Spirit. He wants to set you free in Jesus' name. Close that door in Jesus' name. Be able to walk forward in freedom. Some of you are struggling with habitual sin. You know, the habitual sin, there's a pain in exposing it. There's a pain. It's the pain of being vulnerable. It's the pain of the potential rejection. It's the pain of, man, the shame of someone else knowing it. But you know what? The pain of you holding on to that for the months and even years that lie ahead, the pain, the damage that will cause will make the pain of exposing it pale into insignificance. So tonight, make a decision. Tonight, no more. Close that door. Let God come in. Just give, want to give you an opportunity tonight. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you aren't yet connected with him. God loves you. He loves you more than you'll ever know. And when he died on that cross and rose again, he did it to rescue you. There is no other potential rescue from any other Savior. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus. Because only he was qualified. He was the only one without sin who died as our substitute. He's alive right now. He's here in the room. And he wants to be your Lord. So tonight, will you bow the knee to Jesus Christ? Just as we're closing, let me give you that opportunity. If you're here and you're saying, Peter, I want to live life with God now. I don't want to live another day without having God in my life. Then I invite you to pray this prayer with me just now. Just one line at a time, under your breath, repeat this to God. Dear God, thank you for your love for me. Thank you so much, Jesus, for dying on the cross paying the price I needed to be, dying in my place and rising again. Tonight, I ask you to come into my life. I commit myself to being a follower of yours for the rest of my life. Jesus, be my Lord. I bow the knee to you now from this day forward thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me Amen if you prayed that prayer God's heard you I'd like to pray for you if you're here and you prayed that prayer just quickly put your hand up I want to pray for you to so anyone like that this evening I'll just wait a moment thanks anyone else? else okay Father thank you so much for these two precious people In your presence they've said yes to you they've decided to live life your way give them strength this week and from now on to let God be God in their life thank you for your love for them thank you for your acceptance in their lives bless them in Jesus name